Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Whenever you're put in any kind of a system, you tend to take on the behavior of the other people inside of that system. My father, he was essentially one of those corporate assholes. Certainly one thing that's influenced me was to see how he did things and just think, no, that's wrong. No, I refuse to be an asshole. I want to be in business, but I want to be nice. The future uh, in the marketplace belongs to the happy workplaces because happy workplaces make more money. They're more efficient, they're more innovative, and they're going to outcompete their unhappy competitors. Welcome to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. My podcast is a reflection of my life. Not only people I encountered, but those from whom I'm able to learn from the most. While it's inspirational to listen and to learn from people such as Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, even people such as Tim Ferriss, um, Kevin Kelly, Ryan Holiday, can all feel so out of reach. So I decided to reveal the people who may not necessarily fall under the top 100 most influential people in the world, but are willing to share with you their success, failure, happiness, and tears. The counterintuitive learnings, the secret origin stories, what it means to them to live a good and fulfilling life, knowing when to pause and completely be in the moment. I would like to introduce my guest today from Denmark. His name is Alex Kerwolf. Alex is the founder and chief happiness officer, CHO of Uhu Inc. And Uhu Inc. is one of the world's leading experts on happiness at work. So Alex was officially introduced to me by Stephen Shapiro, a guest from an earlier episode of the Face World podcast. But long before I found out that Alex is a connection of Stevens, I had already been reading Alex's blogs called the Chief Happiness Officer Blog. A more recent article that I fell in love with is called Why Every Company Should Have a CHO. Today, in order to succeed as a speaker, as a writer, you pretty much need to own a space. So for Alex, that is called happiness at work. I find this approach inspiring, intelligent, and really intriguing. Why? Because there are 120 million people with full-time jobs in the U.S. alone. That is roughly 63% of the entire population. But in 2010, Business Insider reported that over 80% of the people hate their jobs. Should you choose between a passion or a paycheck? Alex suggests that is not without pitfalls, but having a great Chief Happiness Officer, CHO, a person somewhere in the organization who has the skills, the knowledge, and the passion to help create a happy workplace and who has the unconditional support of top management makes perfect sense. This is all very convincing to me, but I needed Alex to help me understand what companies and employees in those companies can do if their CEOs don't fully buy into this idea and don't hire CHOs to take charge. What can they do to create a happier workplace? So in our conversation, Alex and I talked about what inspires Alex to turn the 9 to 5 around. Personally, 
I wanted to know how I can reinforce the vision and theory so I can positively and independently influence other people. If you have been listening to the Face World podcast, you won't be surprised by this question, which is, what is Alex's secret origin stories? Basically, why did Alex choose to become a CHO? And where does Alex source inspirations from? What are some of the books he gives away as gifts the most? So I really hope that you enjoy this podcast. I would mega appreciate if you could share what you like with your families and friends. It would mean so much to me. I also want to mention that Face World podcast is everywhere. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, all with the same handle. That is Face World, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. Thank you so much. Without further ado, please welcome Alex Carewolf. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. Fantastic. So, so Alex, you are the author of four books, including the international bestseller, Happy Hour is 9 to 5, How to Love Your Job, Love Your Life, Kick Butt. And out of all the languages I saw translated, there's Chinese, which is I'm uh, originally from Beijing, China. And I saw this recently. I haven't really fully read your bio, but that made me so happy because if I'm trying to practice this word, I know you said is um, abagled. Is, that was um, close. That was very close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I um, the English is my second language, and I try to explore other languages. And Danish is, it's so out of my league. It's just a challenge of, of the language itself. And your English is perfect. So I, I thought you were American <laughs> for some reason. Thank you so much. My accent is American. I am Danish. <laughs> and Danish is a horrible, horrible language. So uh, don't worry if you don't get it. The word in, in Danish is arbejdsglød. Oh, arbejdsglød. Yeah, close, still close. close still, still close. <laughs> wow, how how come your English is so good? Yeah, uh, well, I I grew I I'm half Greek, half Danish, so I actually grew up speaking English. Uh, but but neither of my parents had an American accent, so how that happened, I have no clue. I I, I usually I usually say I'm closet American. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm gonna jump right into. A bunch of questions, and I would love to link uh, to some of your articles. If people, um, some of my audience may know you very well, some might not know you as well. I want to include a, a list of articles for them to dive into. But what I love about your approach is there are so many writers, uh, authors, influencers out there to say, simply quit your job. Quit your job. It's uh, you know, full-time employment is its like the death of full-time employees. And I actually like reading some of those articles and friends with some of the influencers. But I think you really turn it around and say happy hour is nine to five because we spend so much time. One is sleeping, two is working. And what type of approach and what inspired you to kind of turn this around? Yeah, well, for me, it's always... Uh, it's always been a personal value for me to to like the work I do, right? I've always refused to have a job that I, I didn't enjoy. Uh, however, I've tried both, and I think that's also driven me to do what I do. I mean, I think, and I think most people have, right? I've tried, I've tried having work that I absolutely love, that was, you know, amazing, and I look forward to it every morning when I woke up. But I also, I've also tried being desperately unhappy at work. Uh, I had a period for about a year when I was in uh, in software consulting where I just hated my job. 
And it was the worst single period of my life. Uh, and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So, you know, the, 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 the basic fact here is that you got to work, right? Unless you're born filthy rich, uh, you are going to have to work. And not only will you work, it will actually take up more of your waking hours than anything else in your life. Um, so why not find work that you actually enjoy? Why not find a job that is actually good for you, that has a net positive effect on your life, on your health, on your mental situation, on your career? Um, why you have to drag yourself out of bed every morning to go into a workplace you hate with a boss who's a jerk and coworkers who are idiots to do work that you don't really enjoy? And yet, so many people do that, and that is what we're trying to change. What I love about the closing line of uh, your video, which I watched for the first time on your, and I was thinking, how come I haven't watched this earlier? I was been just reading most of the articles, and I just love what you said in the very end that happiness does not belong to the clever, the rich. I can add many, many more <laughs> in yeah, that sentence,、yeah. but the happy. Oh,、well, the the future does not belong. The the future does not belong to the clever or the rich or the powerful. The future belongs to the happy, is what we say. Yeah, yeah. And I, actually, I honestly believe that, and I do believe that the future、uh, in the marketplace belongs to the happy workplaces because happy workplaces make more money. They are more efficient. They're more innovative. They're going to outcompete their unhappy competitors.、Um, so the future of work is happy,、uh, and there is, you know, there is a massive groundswell.、Uh, more and more companies are realizing that it's important that their employees actually like their jobs. It couldn't be more accurate. I mean, the U.S. alone, I notice so many examples, and an international company like Starbucks. I'm in consulting. Have been in advertising agency for nearly ten years, and a lot of the coworkers I work with now graduated and were at some point worked at Starbucks, and they loved it, and they're recalling the experience so fondly. And another example, more、um, recently, even though the company has been around for a while, is Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is, you know, obviously like from California, and. To your point, the example you shared about the hospital、um, where the four nurses worked, and really the people who benefit are the patients. And for me, as a customer walking to Trader Joe's, I find myself apologetic, as in, "Could you help me? I'm looking for this." And this guy was stacking a shelf, and he would stop everything he was doing the time and walk me over to the thing, and just with a big smile, authentic smile,、mm-hmm. on his face. And I and I was thinking, what what did Trader Joe's do to them? <laughs> and what does that do to you as a client, right? As a customer, that makes you want to come back and shop there again, right?、Um, so this is also very, very good for customer loyalty, customer satisfaction, and for the bottom line.、Um, and there are so many companies like that around. More and more companies are starting to get it.、Um, my one of my favorite examples in the U.S. is、uh, Southwest Airlines, but there's also you know there's Google, there's Costco, there's、uh, SAS Industry, the SAS,、uh, the software company SAS. They're really good. So, so many great workplaces.、Mm-hmm. Another question I had as I was thinking about this, I love your title, Chief Happiness Officer. <laughs> I, I think I might want to approach my、um, the president of my company and say, "Can I have that title?" Yes.、Uh, and and I think I have all the rights to interview you because I've always been ever since very early on in my career, twenty to twenty three years old, and I was like, you know, nine years ago, but. I automatically felt that that was a role that I wanted to play in because it's something I always thought I was good at. You know, I'm the one who always walks into the office with a big smile and、I、want to look people in the eyes and say good morning, hello. So I still play that role. Years into my career, I would set up、um, like 
digital workshop. So it's not just about my domain of a digital producer, but uh, kind of bring everybody together from the agency and say hi to each other, present even if you're 22. Do you agree that like anybody could be a, a CHO or anybody could kind of take the lead, take charge of happiness at work? Absolutely. And I love the kind of things that you do. And people like you are amazing to have around because you have such a positive influence on everyone around you. And, and, and honestly, we very often in the workplace, people like who do the kind of awesome things that you do are undervalued. And, and we, we tend to look at the, you know, the only at the most skilled people or the ones who get all the sales or whatever. But, you know, those people who can make the team function, who can keep people around them happy, who can spot coworkers who are maybe not doing so well and, you know, ask about them and, and show that they care. Those people are invaluable. They are an incredible asset to any organization. In fact, I do believe that those qualities that you mentioned are the qualities of the leader of the future. Uh, today, what happens very often is that we take, you know, whoever is the most highly skilled or the best professional and we make that person the the leader, the, the, the department leader or whatever. Uh, but I do think that in the future, what we're going to do is we're going to take the, the people who are really, really good at caring about others, who want others to thrive and succeed, and we're going to make those people the leaders because they are way better managers and bosses and leaders. So, yes, I think anyone can be a chief happiness officer, um, but, but, but some people have it naturally, and it sounds like you do, and those people are awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad I initiated this interview. It's a great way to start my weekend. Absolutely. And, you know, I I have this tendency to always want to chat with people who are junior to me because, you know, I am in my early 30s and looking back, there's so many, there's so much advice I wanted to give to myself. It's like only if I knew. And, you know, when you, when I was 22, I spoke with people in their 40s, very accomplished to your point and very high up in the corporate chain. And I just realized that many of them were right about a lot of things. And I choose my friends very carefully. And I put a lot of them on my podcast, people who inspire me. And to this day, even though they're not working with me daily, but there are a lot of different other advice I wish I had not taken or taken by heart. So... This podcast can totally be explicit. I forgot to tell you that um, we can swear <laughs> as much as we need to. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so there is one rule very popular in the U U.S. is called uh, no asshole rule. And there's a book about it to say that basically it doesn't matter yeah, how. Love that. Yeah, it doesn't matter how clever, how connected you are. But if you're an asshole at work and make everybody else feel miserable, um, that's not good. And sometimes that all it takes it's just that one person two people and i've seen this happen you know to your point and um so i was in a a chat with someone i respect dearly and a name came up and there's a, a woman who's very very difficult to work with and um and then he said but hey she really knows how to work the system doesn't she she's smart right and she knows how to work the system and she's cl clearly climbed the, the corporate chain and she's untouchable because she's hired by people really high up. She's friends. And and I just, all of a sudden, I just felt this like, 
the, the distance I had um, with the person I respect very much and thought to myself, I immediately thinking like, I have to ask this question to Alex is because that's a constant challenge at work. For me, how do I reinforce the vision and really it's a theory and a construct that you have um, so that I can continue to positively influence other people. Yeah, I think that is a I think that is a very very important question because in the business world right now there are many p- people who have a very very different view of things, right? And I would say that the dominant view in many places is sort of a, a doggy dog view, right? You know, you got to fight to get ahead, and you know it's all about number one, and you know it's cold at the top. And you have to be ruthless in business and you have to work the system. Was that the expression? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, and that, that is just horrible. But here's the thing, though. Whenever you're put in any kind of a system, you tend to take on the behavior of the other people inside of that system. That can be a workplace or a, I don't care, you know, or a school or a church group or a whatever, right? If you're not careful, you will, you will end up adopting their values, their worldview, and their behaviors. So it sounds like you were aware that this kind of statement was against what you stand for, right? But a lot of people just end up becoming that, and they end up uh, acting in the same way, and they end up as corporate assholes. Um, and, I, and I think that is just a horrible, horrible thing to see. But that, that force is very strong. Um, there, is, there is a lot of research into conformity and how we often end up conforming to the actions and the viewpoints of people around us. It is an incredibly strong force, and it takes real force of will and real confidence in yourself to be able to go against that kind of thing and say, no, I refuse to be an asshole. I want to be in business, but I want to be nice. I want to help people around me. I want to make other people perform at their best. It's not necessarily just about me getting ahead. It's about doing work that I do well and making a positive difference in the world. Something that, something that uh, I, I see this a lot right now with, with uh, people coming into the workplace right now, you know, the millennials and the Gen Yers and all of that, you know, young people come into the workplace with the best of intentions and, you know, uh, and with a lot of, uh, you know, desire to do a good job and work on something positive. But if they get stuck in toxic organizations, it's only a matter of time for most of them before they end up conforming and they become just like, you know, corporate drones, just like anybody else around them. And, and that is just a sad, sad thing to see. One of the many themes I, I read about your writing, the real happiness comes from the real authentic human connections. Yes. And I can, now I've lived and worked long enough and I can tell a 20 year old and say, there are things that you don't quite see coming yet because um, for a period of time, I was working with uh, someone, we call them art directors and like head of design and was a woman that was very, very difficult to work with. And um, I don't know why some of the examples are women, but I really mean they're men too in this position. And, you know, for a while I was basically saying to myself, what am I doing wrong? And I see her doing the same thing to other younger designers. And I was really hurt by it, you know, and there's so many things in my position I couldn't do at the time. And I I shouldn't do at the time, but I would still pull younger people aside and say, your design is great. And you shouldn't feel sorry that the client chose your design versus hers. From that point on, I've gone uh, with my careers to other agencies. And this woman's name appeared over and over again, as in, 
we will never hire her. Boston <laughs> is a small town. You know, it's interesting. And she climbed the la- the the ladder, and she worked the the corporate structure. But as a small town in Boston, people saying. We will not. We are familiar with her work, and we we will not tolerate this kind of you know toxins. And that just shows. And I had no idea for years. So you're absolutely right. I, and I and I think we're going to see way more of that. I I recently visited a, a social media agency in Cape Town uh, called Quirk. They're pretty awesome. And um, when they hire someone new, you know, you have all of the job interviews as as usual. But then what happens is that uh, as an applicant, you go out to coffee, uh, you've got to have a coffee with the whole team, you know, all the people you might potentially end up working with. And when they get back to the office, they have to answer one question. This is the Christmas party test. Uh, the question is, do I want to sit next to this person at the next office Christmas party? Um, and if one person says no, they don't hire that person. That is so cool. <laughs> And then the next thing that happens, if, if, if they pass that test, then they have a short meeting with the CEO, uh, who's a really cool guy. And he comes in and he says uh, to the applicant, okay, uh, my job is just to make sure that you're not a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you said we could swear, okay? Yeah, of course. That was the exact word he used uh, when I talked to him. And uh, I think that kind of um, – and he actually told me that uh, a while back – they had hired a female executive, a, a high-level executive, um, who turned out to be a complete nutcase, essentially. And the amount of damage that she ended up doing uh, was just is just horrific. So yes, I do, I do think there is more and more focus on you know hiring people who are good people, not just good professionally. And here's the thing: this is so interesting in a happiness context because I think you know at the end of the day we all want to be happy, right? I mean, what are we on earth for? We want to be happy, want to live a good life. And what we are starting to learn from the happiness research is that happiness is not an individual pursuit. Okay, it's not about making me happy. Uh, we actually, as human beings, we derive way more happiness from making others happy. Okay, so so a career that is focused on you know helping the company succeed, helping the client succeed, helping your coworkers succeed. If you're the boss, helping your employees succeed and make you know make make them thrive and and be successful. Um, that is much more likely to make you happy than a career that is just focused on advancing your own goals and saying, you know, how can I get that promotion? How can I stab that guy in the back so I get his bonus or whatever? And it's, it's just, I think it's such a fascinating result from the research is that we are at heart, at our core nature, we are empathetic and altruistic. And we want, we are happy when people around us are happy. It's so true when you buy gifts, and uh, I know I'm not the only one in the situation, is you, you know, buy myself like a $200 purse, you'll be thinking, oh, that's a lot of money, should I spend that money on myself? But, you know, uh, I practice Taekwondo, which is a form of Korean martial art at at a gym, and um, at the beginning of this year, I decided that, it's so interesting, my company Arnold Worldwide gave us this like Amazon gift card from the president and I ended up buying two sort of, um, they're called the Bobbies. So basically are these like targets you can punch. And, and I decided to donate them to my Taekwondo school. 
And to your point, I'll never forget whether to see it or to hear it from my instructor and the kids after school at 3 p.m. You know, 40, 50 kids will rush into the school and run directly to these like mannequins and bobbies and start, you know, punching. They will line up. They don't care about anything else. I just, to your point, I just feel like my endorphins, my immune system, and I just feel so, so happy. And there's no word to describe it. Exactly. And there's, there, there's a very, a very cool study they did where they, uh, they, they gave people a, a little bit of money that they could spend either on themselves or on someone else. They measured their happiness before and after. And, and people who had spent that money on someone else were way happier. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so funny. I, I kind of, uh, I was getting into the secret origin stories, which is my favorite question to ask about any of my guests. Mm-hmm. And I know you also uh, kind of founded an IT company yeah. as well. So what are some of the things that uh, through your writing, um, speaking that you might not surface to your audience? Like what is your secret origin stories that triggered or the tipping point for you to kind of switch over to say, I want to be a chief happiness officer? Well, uh, I, th- I think for me, it's, as I said earlier, it's, it's always been a personal value for me uh, to, to want to do work that I actually like. Uh, but, uh, but another, in addition to that, another influence has been uh, my father. Who uh, who had many? Uh, he worked in the in, in, in the hotel industry. He ran uh, several different hotels, and he was never happy at work. Um, he was one of those. He was essentially one of those corporate assholes. He was. Uh, he could be. He could be very very tough on people around him uh, in the workplace. And I think certainly one thing that's influenced me was to see how he did things and just think, no, that's wrong. That is just not the way to do it. So that was that was uh, certainly one influence, you know, one one way of seeing things, or just realize this is wrong. This is not the way to do it. What was he like at home? I wonder if there's a huge difference. Uh, like uh, a little better, but not much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I've seen this happening with people. Like, oh, I'm at work. I have to do it this way. But I'm. Yeah. Oh, he had he had issues. Uh, let's let's just say. Um, so yeah. So that was definitely one. You know, I'd say warning example or you know a negative example that showed me how not to go about things and how not to do it. And 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 those I, I think that prob that may have been what gave me that initial impetus to say you know I don't I don't know what I'll end up doing when I was a, as a as a teenager you know when I was in high school uh, and I started to think about you know what what kind of what did I want to study at university I knew I wanted to go to university I didn't know I didn't know what I wanted to study I was I was you know uh, thinking maybe economics maybe languages maybe IT. Uh, but I do remember that thinking that whatever it was, I wanted it to be fun um, and I wanted it to lead to work that I would actually enjoy. That was my number one priority here. Not, you know, the amount of money I could make or, you know, the employment prospects or the career opportunities. How much fun would this be? And when I got a chance to co-found my own uh, software consulting company, that was, again, the number one goal was to make it a happy workplace. This is very, very different than what I thought it would be. And... What I'm also fascinated by people like yourself is you write, you speak all the time. And I would love to discipline myself to kind of get into this creative rhythm. And I wonder where you source your inspirations from. You know, people in the industry, uh, 
uh, inspires you, or something completely separate from different than what you do, like biking or the nature. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yes, and yes, and and uh, I, I, I do say though that that uh, my number one source of inspiration is uh, you may have heard of it, it's called the internet. <laughs> I spend way too much time on the internet. There, there is so much cool stuff out there, and you know, just uh, reading blogs and reading articles and watching videos, and, and, and there's so much cool stuff out there. And that is where I, I find a lot of inspiration. And then, uh, obviously, you know, going to conferences, um, the conferences that I speak at. Um, and also the ones that I just go and where I just go as an attendee um, and, and meet new people. And, and then, you know, uh, just outside of the whole professional world, I do read a lot. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books, uh, uh, nonfiction and a lot of fiction. Okay. I'm going to jump in there and ask a quick question. What are some of the books that you give as gifts the most? <laughs> and what is the one that you're reading on now? <laughs> there's a couple that I give as gifts. There's uh, there's one called "Turn the Ship Around" by David Marquet, which is a fantastic book. Um, he is a retired nuclear submarine commander. I uh, became the captain of a, a poorly performing submarine and turned it around to become awesome by giving people freedom and autonomy and responsibility. And it's, it's such a great story. Uh, I've given that book away a lot. Right now. Uh, let's see what am I reading? I'm reading a I'm reading a very interesting book on Pixar right now because uh, they're awesome. Creativity Inc. Yes, that's the one. By Ed yeah, Camel. Yeah, 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 just started. My hero. If you want to search Ed Camel, he's a you know it's just he's a little bit older, not that much older, but like in his sixties, and he really knows his shit. He he's not pretentious at all, and. If you want to listen to his podcast, he's been interviewed so far by James Altucher, Tim Ferriss, and I, and I'm sure like a million other people. I love listening to him, and it's so funny. He never uses Skype, or so the quality is never great. But I always persevere, and I have to listen to like all two hours of it. Cool. But yeah, and, uh, I just finished reading um, "Thinking Fast and Slow" by Daniel Kahneman. Yeah, have you read that? Uh, I think I have had on my audio book, and it's a very, very yes. famous book. Yes, that book just blows my mind uh, with all the, all the weird ways that, you know, we think we're so rational and, you know, uh, thoughtful creatures, and we're totally not. And a lot of what goes on in our minds is ruled by these hidden biases that, you know, that, uh, that really, really control the way we think. Um, fascinating, fascinating book. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and 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 I have to say, I have a really really weak spot for science fiction. Um, so I've been reading science fiction since I was fifteen, and there is there is there's there's a lot of crap in science fiction, but there are some really really great works, really great books, really great movies. Oh man, I I just love you know diving into a new strange future world and learning all about that, and there can actually be a lot of inspiration found in science fiction. That can actually uh, that can actually change your thinking about the real world. Mm, because I think it's interesting. Is like the future we're often imagining and writing are often better than we're trying to make it better than the world that we're living in now. Uh, obviously, I can argue some parts are better and perhaps worse, but love it. How do you overcome creativity fatigue? There's actually like there's an actual term I think it's called the decision fatigue in the US especially walking to drugstores. Like I just want a toothpaste and there are a million options. Um, so how do you overcome creativity fatigue? What what in what 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 would that be? How would that I'm not sure what that is. 
I made up the word, so thanks for <laughs> asking. You know, I think there are a lot of books and writing out there to say how do we be creative. Everybody can be, is creative, and should be more creative and ideating. But I think for for me, especially living in the in the working in the industry, advertising, we're ideating all the time. And for you too, I'm sure you write down your ideas. What am I going to write today? How is that going to inspire my future writing? Do you get Tired of that, or do you get? I guess a better question is: Do you get stuck, and how do you unblock yes, yourself? That is a very, very good question.、Um, now I know what you mean. Thank you. This, this is just my approach, and I have no idea if they, this would work for anyone else. But my approach is to say that、uh, being creative, and in my case, that is that is very often through writing. Okay, is not something you can always do. I mean, sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's not. And if it's not, I can't. I can't force it.、Um, so, for instance, when I was writing my first book,、uh, you know, there there are a lot of、uh, people out there who want to tell you about writing, and they say, you know, you have to sit down every day at the same time and write a certain amount of pages and not quit until you're done. And that is that is complete bullshit、uh, for me. At least, but I know it works for some people. Would never ever work for me. Okay. So here's what I found. I found that first of all, I had to get. I had to get out of the office, so I went to a cafe. I, I usually go to a cafe to write. I would, I, I'd sit down and start writing. And some days I couldn't write. Okay, that's still, still the way, still the way today. Some, some days I can't write. You know, I can't put two words together. Nothing comes out. And in that case, I just quit. I go do something else. Okay. And then, the, then the next day I try again, and suddenly, whoa, it's there, and the writing is effortless, and it just flows. Okay. So certainly for me, I think it's about realizing that、uh, working creatively is not—it's not in any way similar to working,、um, let's say, on a factory line. On a factory line, productivity is predictable. You know, you know the factory line. Factory line runs at a certain speed,、uh, and 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 you know your output is predictable.、Uh, you know, by the end of the day, you're going to have this many widgets produced. When you're working, when you're working with writing or ideas or art or any kind of creative work, that is not the case, and you should not expect it to be the case. You cannot, you cannot sit down and say, "Okay, today I'll have I'll have three ideas in the next hour." It's just not gonna work.、Uh, you you have to realize that, and 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 I think trying to force it, you know, trying to force yourself to be creative. May actually be blocking you from being creative, and if you could just relax, go to something else, then maybe those three ideas would just come to you, you know, effortlessly,、um, and maybe ten more would as well. So I really try to keep that very, very,、uh, very present in my mind. Yeah, and and what I actually with the, with my first book, what ended up happening was I wrote the first draft in three weeks. Because I only wrote when I wanted to, and if I didn't want to write, I stopped. And then, I, you know, the next day, I still felt like writing. But then again, you know, the, I was writing a book about happiness at work, and I had a very firm belief that if you if you write a book about happiness at work, writing it should be fun. <laughs> That's right. I wrote I a book about happiness at work, and I hated every second. Wrong. <laughs> 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 Uh, it's so true. I think when we say when we go into this like automation, as in I think we are conditioned, you know, going to school nine to three. We're in China nine to eight to six, and、um, we go to work nine to five. I think we're so、uh, always kind of just in this. Everything's automated for us, which is almost unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, but but, but there's more. Did you see Whiplash, the movie Whiplash? 
Yes. Young yes. drumming prodigy got has this psychopathic teacher who really makes him suffer, and then he becomes the he becomes the best drummer ever, right? Um, <laughs> and, and here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Um, a lot of people have this idea in their mind that success comes from suffering, and the the harder I work and the more I sacrifice and the, the more I suffer, the more successful I will ultimately be. And, and, and this notion is it's so deeply ingrained in us uh, that we never even question it. And a lot of people have this feeling that, you know, if they, if they become successful, you know, at something they, they, they're doing fairly easily and fairly effortlessly, they have a feeling like they don't deserve it. Or maybe I could have been even more successful if I'd worked harder or if I'd worked more hours. Uh, but maybe it's the fact that you, you had fun along the way. Maybe that is what made you successful. I, I talked to Ben, do you know Ben Zander? Former conductor of the Boston Philharmonics. He's retired now, 70, 70 something. Fantastic. Oh, I can't person. believe it. Yeah. yeah, such a great person. And, and I talked to him about happiness at work. And he's, he essentially, he wanted his musicians to enjoy making music because he believed that they made better music when they actually felt happy. Uh, and this is, this is uh, you know, in complete opposition to most uh, conductors because most conductors rule by fear. They're complete tyrants. Um, and, you know, any, any mistake you make as a musician in the orchestra is, is punished harshly, right? And he was the, he was the opposite. You know, if, if one of his musicians made a mistake, he wanted them to go, how fascinating. <laughs> So Ben Zanders is basically the CHO of Boston Orchestra. Yes, exactly, know. exactly. Very much. You know, that was very much the case. Uh, so there is, there's just something in this idea that it, it's. Here's the thing. Can you, can you name a single movie or any work in popular culture where somebody becomes successful by being happy? <sighs> I can't. Yeah. But can you mention a movie where somebody come, becomes successful through suffering and hard work and sacrifice and oh yeah, pain? They're they're all over the place, right? Too many. Uh, the only the only two movies I can think of where somebody becomes successful through suffering, uh, through happiness, sorry, is uh, Forrest Gump and Big. And and what's so interesting is that in in both those movies, uh, in in those movies, Forrest Gump is he's you know it's a bit of an idiot, right? He's not he's not very bright. He's stupid but happy. And that stupidity and naive, naivety, naivete makes him successful. Um, and in, in uh, of course, in Big, uh, Tom Hanks, he's a kid, he's a child, and again, uh, naive, and that makes him successful. So, so there, there are no examples I can think of in popular culture, in, in books, in movies, in art, uh, of, of somebody who becomes successful just by being friendly, nice, cheerful, happy by enjoying what they do. There are plenty of examples in real life, but none in popular culture. And I find that incredibly interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot because um, I'm not a parent yet, but I love children and I love to have kids. One of the things I hear one of my friends talk about is, Faye, the best gift I could give to my children is no college debt. I'm like, no, you're wrong. Because <laughs> the, best, the best gift you could give him is by you being happier and to be able to kind of, you know, sort of surface that and penetrate that. Um, because he can be angry and really anxious all the time. And I, as a child, 
Uh, I think happy parents mean so much to me. I I, I was giving a speech uh, in uh, in Copenh- in uh, sorry in Denmark a few years ago, and I asked the audience, you know, why do you th- why do you guys think it's important to have a job you like? And somebody actually came up with an answer I'd never thought about myself, which was, um, well, here's the thing: if if you hate your job and you come home every day from work, you know, stressed and frustrated and tired and you know, fed up with your job, what are you teaching your kids? Nothing. Right. Exactly. It's the worst. You're teaching your kids that that's just the way it is, right? That this is how we should feel about work and, and that this is normal. And also, you come home with, with less energy to be with your kids and to be a good parent. Um, so I think there's, there's a very good argument there as well for, for having a job you actually like. Wonderful. Do you have five minutes? I have one more question. Sure, sure. Hit me. Well, wonderful. Uh, I looked at your social followings. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and especially on Twitter, in this day and age, through that 2015, anybody starts a new account will expect about seven followers, and mm-hmm. you have you know thousands of followers, which is really impressive. So I wonder what is your take on you know people say a thousand true fans. I said you don't need three million people to follow you, but you 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 need people who truly value your content and your inspiration. So um, how do you feel? How do you engage with them, and how do you build your your audience? <laughs> I'd love to learn a few things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably not very not very well. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not a social media expert or anything. So, you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of what we have, you know, we have a lot of readers on our blog and uh, on Twitter, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's mostly by accident, I'd say, and probably I'd, I'd say in my it, what what we've done that works. Is that we have a topic that people are really interested in, uh, you know, because you know everybody everybody has a job, and if they don't, they want one. <laughs> um, so so this is rele- this message is relevant to everyone, and 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 we try. I think more than anything else, we try to be of value and try to give people you know uh, specific uh, tools and knowledge that they can actually be, apply in their work lives. I think that's what has what attracts people to you know our newsletter and our blog and our Twitter feed and LinkedIn and all of that. It really, I think it is that simple. Thank you. You, you're just, I'm having so much fun during the conversation. Me too. <laughs> yeah, this is super fun. I really want to, you know, respect your time and thank you so much for joining me on Phase World. My pleasure. My pleasure. Episodes of the Face World podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or visit FaceWorld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at FaceWorld. Until next time, thanks for listening. Yeah.